Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On Commons People This Week... I have decided not to proceed with the Class 4 NICS measures set out in the budget. Not so funny now, is it, Phil? Hammond U-turns on his tax hike. Next week, I will seek the authority of the Scottish Parliament to agree with the UK government the details of a Section 30 order. If at first you don't secede, Sturgeon rolls the dice. He is the most ineffective um, uh, poor-quality opposition leader in, I think, probably the history of British politics. And what does Tim Farron really think about Jeremy Corbyn? All this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Owen Bennett and this week I'm joined by Ned Simons and Paul War. All right, guys? Hello, Owen. All right, move on quickly, quickly. Very busy week. There's, there's, just, there's so much to talk about. Right, I'm going to say it. A week is a long time in politics. Oh, Owen. I'm sorry. But yes, after seven days of Tory backbenchers grumbling about the budget, Chancellor Philip Hammond announced on Wednesday that he was scrapping the increased national insurance contributions for self-employed workers. The Chancellor still believes the policy is sound, but acknowledges the move breaches a manifesto commitment. There are still plenty of questions to answer, though. Did the Prime Minister tell Hammond to perform the U-turn? How we make up the £2 billion hole in his budget? Who first noticed the measure broke a manifesto promise? Well, Hammond did have an answer on that point. Since he asked me the question, um, who first uh, raised the issue of the manifesto, um, I think credit where credit is due. I think it was actually Laura Koonsberg on the BBC uh, shortly, after I, uh, shortly after I said it in the budget speech. So, uh, Philip Hammond there, saying that Laura Kunzberg had the scoop. I think we all agree that we all tweeted that as soon as you said it, <laughs> that it broke a manifesto promise. Although I think Paul tweeted it before you did, by four about minutes. four minutes. So Four minutes. That right, is a long time in politics. Try, try harder. Politics. Let's, let's, did any of us see this U-turn coming? Well, we all said they had to do it. That it was the, Well, I, I wrote on that night that the logic and the following morning, the logic of breaking a manifesto pledge, it was so toxic. We talked about this last week, didn't we? It's so bad that you had to do something, not just delay it, not just pause it, but reverse it. And what surprised me is it was happening so quickly. That, that's, that's the real surprise about this week. Although, I, to be honest, I, I think I was a bit surprised that it was just a blanket quick U-turn. I think I was expecting more, we'll change what it does, we'll make it for just the, the richer rich people that it affects, not such a big group as a kind of way to deal with it, rather than just you know within a week. Not at all. But I think if it, if they'd tried that, you know, that really would have been seen as playing games and sort of, you know, passing it and sort of trying to finesse it. The, the brutal fact is they made a promise in manifesto they could not breach it. And I think ruling it out for the rest of the parliament was the, the sensible thing. And is it the case, I guess, it's easier to go into a general election defending a U-turn than defending a manifesto promise? Completely. And that's why they happen. But, you know, and we could talk about Labour's performance and reaction and the reaction of others on this, but... Yvette Cooper was right in the chamber when she said that, you know, that this was the second spring budget 
on the trot where there's been a major announcement and been undone within weeks. But actually, she could have gone further. It was the third budget on the trot because Osborne's big tax credits blunder was in that immediately after the general election when he was incredibly cocky, you know. And maybe it's because there was no Labour opposition then, just as there may not be now, that actually he felt he could get away with it. And it's it's the sense that actually they're not scared of making mistakes. And what really we learned this week is that finally, finally, I think the PM and certainly Philip Hammond have found a sense of fear again. But it's not about Labour. It's about the Tory press and how will they react and how will their backbenchers react and how will their core voters react. And once again, you had all these Tory MPs who've gone out on a limb to defend a policy that then was reversed. It was Desmond Swain in the Commons hilariously pointing out he'd already written an article for his local paper defending Hammond's initial plan and then having to recant it and say you know i've already written it down it's going out people are reading in in the printers being printed off the local paper as he was standing up going and of course jacob rees mogg the development jacob rees mogg rather um roy stewart rather the development minister was live on the tv as it happened and had was defending it one minute andrew neil then tells him it's been u-turned and he says oh now i agree with that so that begs the question how did this all come about because we i mean hammond offered up that he and Theresa may made the decision at 8 a.m in the morning because ATM is only in the morning. Um, and, and obviously, therefore, hadn't gone through Cabinet. Was it a case that Theresa May and Hammond made the decision, or did May make the decision and tell Hammond he had to agree with it? I think it was May basically wanting it changed, wanting the manifesto respected. Once she, she realised that the manifesto had been broken, um, he made clear that the young first he learned about it was the Laura Koonsberg um, tweet. But number 10 obviously didn't see the, the funny side of that. And what I've been told is that, that that meeting, it basically was her saying, look, you you will sort this out. And the chief whip, Gavin Williamson, said, look, here's the numbers. The numbers are bad. Not only in the commons will you not get this through, but also in the lords. We're going to have a repeat of that tax credits fiasco where the lords felt as though they were completely free to block this. There was a really good bit. This sounds really like I'm sucking up to you. But that you tweeted, Paul, about the letter that he sent where you March was in, the was, was printed out on a computer <laughs> and the 15th was written in pen, which showed they kind of had decided to do it and it was like, okay, do it now and put the number of the day on. But again, there's that sense of no fear about Corbyn because they did it on PMQ's day, just before PMQ's. Yes, you would have thought that's not the day <laughs> to do it. Let's move on, let's move on to Corbyn. Uh, here's a clip of him uh, in Prime Minister's Questions. As you said, he had 20 minutes warning. Here's a clip. Mr Speaker, I do, I think... I think the Prime Minister should offer an apology for the chaos that her government has caused during the past week and the stress it's caused to the 4.8 million self-employed people in this country. In the clip there from Corbyn, he sounds like he's doing a good job, right? Because he said, you know, it's just chaos mm. in the government. I mean, but that's I imagine the... that he went on and used his other five questions to really <laughs> hammer it home. It, and it's... I imagine he used the other five questions to ask questions yeah, as well, because that, that's it, what I mean, you obviously, do. That's, 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 that's that. what happened. Yeah. You right? clearly weren't in there, boys, were you? No. No, the, the, the really interesting thing was that actually... He, he got half that answer out and on paper it looked good. But then as soon as he started talking, you know, there were cheers, jeers from the from the Tories and grim faces from the people behind him because he would kind of fluffed the question. He he'd not really gone for it. The whole idea of Jeremy Corbyn attacking someone for chaos anyway, you know, yeah. it, seen as as a bit of a joke. But let's be honest, Corbyn has had some good PMQs. There's no question. There's no point uh, overdoing this. But equally, I think this week was definitely his worst because the stakes were so high. It's almost a bit like Kinnock missing the ball in the net when it came to Westland. You know, things were built up there and he totally fluffed it. But here, 
it showed that it's very difficult for Corbyn to think on his feet. Uh, I, w- I was told that actually all his six questions were supposed to be about national insurance rise, but they've been scripted at like half past eight in the morning. And that's why he felt slightly bamboozled when he had to think on his feet about this and new development. And then he I fell back onto the school question I, I, at the end. And you can kind of forgive someone for not thinking on their feet, but I don't really think it was even having to think on your feet. I mean, it was announced the U-turn 20 minutes before. That's still 20 minutes to think of a couple of good questions. But the statement that Hammond was due to give in the Commons when he was going to formally announce it was announced at least an hour before. Now, you'd think someone in the team would be paying attention to what's going on. You just see that there's going to be a statement. You know something's up even before the actual... You might think, oh, might be maybe a U-turn. Let's yeah. maybe plan That's a few a questions around I mean, that. it does raise questions about the team around Corbyn, how experienced they are, how quick they are at responding. Um, there's lots of questions about the teams around Hammond and May. Let's not forget that. Let's be honest. They're, they're the people who are really in the firing line. But the reason they're not in the firing line is because Corbyn didn't actually fire the bullets. And the people around Corbyn should have known better that actually keep it simple, say... Uh, did he offer to resign? Did the did the Chancellor offer to, offer to resign? We, we all asked those questions immediately afterwards. We didn't didn't take very long to do that. You know, simple things like you know, when did he tell you? When did you change your mind? Stuff that's unanswerable but would have made and, a great impact. And even more infuriatingly, then later in the afternoon, Labour did send out um, kind of a, a press release to journalists with stuff about national insurance. And at the end, it had a list of five questions for Theresa May and Philip Hammond. It's like, well, do you have an opportunity today, perhaps, to ask the Prime Minister and the Chancellor these questions? I think I, I disagree with you slightly when you say it doesn't matter that much that he can't think on his feet. I think as a leader of the opposition and you want to be a Prime Minister, I think you have to be oh, able no, to think on your feet. I, think, I, know, I, know you're saying, I know you're saying, you know, it's... It, 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 it does matter, but of in this case, didn't even, didn't even have to yeah, think. Yeah, exactly. But, but I just saying. think, I mean, <clears throat> when I've watched PMQs, I've always tried to really approach it in a completely neutral way, as we mm. should do as journalists. And I'm happy to say when Cormac's had a good week at PMQs, and he has had some good weeks at PMQs, but this was frankly disastrous. This is the leader of the opposition unable to scrutinise the government when it's wrote back on this budget within a week. And it, a lot of people, uh, there's been a bit of a... Uh, sort of blowback from a lot of people saying, oh, the media are so easy to criticise Corbyn. But how can you do anything but in this situation? He was, it was so, so woeful. And the people around him have really got, they, surely they must look at that and they must, they can't walk out of that and think that, that was an mm. acceptable performance. Well, well you'd hope not. can they? <laughs> <laughs> well, that certainly, they're, 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 when they got some more time to draft those questions that Ned was talking about, they finally got there. But, you know, as I say, it's an inexperience of being able to cope in the moment on PMQ's day. As I wrote this week, I bumped into to Ed Miliband literally as that um, U-turn was being announced to Tory MPs. And he said, I said, what would you ask? What would you ask? And he said, I'd, I'd make some kind of reference like I did previously when they did a U-turn on minimal alcohol pricing. And, you know... And he made then that one of his best gags, which was about what, what can the Prime Minister do in a brewery? And, you know, it was brilliant. It was sort of punchy at the time. But you get the sense that with Corbyn, it doesn't really matter that much. It's, it's more about changing the, the narrative in PMQs and changing the style of PMQs, which, to be fair to him, you know, he has done in some senses. But you can't change the rules, the real raw political rules of, um, of PMQs. 
It's not as if Hammond's U-turn came in a quiet week for UK politics. Having stared over the cliff since the EU referendum last year, Nicola Sturgeon decided to take the leap this week, announcing she would push for a second independence referendum for Scotland. We're on a path not just to Brexit but to hard Brexit that will have profound implications for our economy, our society, our, our culture, place in the world, sense of who we are. Um, and we have no control over that. However, as we record this, Theresa May has poured cold water on the suggestion, saying this is not the time for a referendum on Scottish independence while Brexit negotiations are ongoing. Did we see this coming? And the answer has to be yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> Surely. We knew. I mean, we yeah. were surprised by the timing because she announced it on Monday. There's a little bit of a, of a gap in the news cycle, wasn't there, before the Lords votes and the Commons votes in Article 50. So Yeah, and I, it, the announcement she made, I guess, was less about there being a gap in the news cycle. It was about influence of the news cycle and influencing that Lords vote and setting the agenda before Theresa May got to do whatever it was she was planning with Article 50. Yeah, I think it was very canny of Nicola Sturgeon to do what she did on, Sunday, um, on Monday. She set the, the tone for... For the whole week, it's a Monday morning, she had prime time when it came to that gap, and she used it, she really used it properly. Um, of course, what we've seen today is that Theresa May has been as equally canny, you could say, in, in crushing that as swiftly as possible. She, she, everyone thought that she would wait until Holyrood, the Scottish Parliament, had next week formally asked for a second referendum and we were we were being told by number 10 during the week oh we'll wait and see we haven't got a message yet because we kept asking this question what's Theresa May going to say what's she going to say is she going to approve it when will she approve it will she block it or will she stop it and today Theresa May takes the initiative and perhaps because of all the budget mess thought right I'm going to start being bold and I've got to start making it look like I'm in control so she did just that by briefing ITV News this morning that yes she would uh, effectively be blocking any Scottish independence referendum until after the Brexit negotiations were finished. She wasn't sp- specific. She just kept saying, not now, not now, which again was quite canny, not putting a date on it. Because who knows if those negotiations will be ready in 2018 rather than 2019. So she's she's left a bit of wriggle room. <clears throat> I mean, when the referendum happened, the Scottish, the Scottish referendum happened, 2014, I mean, the economic case of Scottish independence was you know, fairly sort of shot down. So, so the Alex mm. Salmond version mm. of, of Scottish independence was fairly shot down. And, and, you know, still 45% of people went to the polls and they sort of said, you know, regardless of it, a lot of people voted regardless of what, what happened to the economy, we still want independence. And I feel like if those people have already made that decision in their heart, that's a heart decision, not a head decision. I don't see how you can win them back. And I think there's only going to be more people who want independence. So it seems to me that Scottish independence is inevitable. If we were to grant another referendum, well, I think certainly the momentum is on the SNP side, there's no question. Even if this vote is delayed after Brexit, you know, that might actually make things even more uh, of, a, of a powerful case for the SNP because it's only once Brexit has happened and you see the shape of the deal and it may not be a great deal. OK, maybe Theresa May will get a fantastic trade deal. I doubt that very much in the next two years. It's much more likely there's going to be some sort of transitional arrangement where we're still completely in the dark about what those relationships are going to be. And if you're a Scot and you're thinking, right, God, this massive uncertainty. And if you're a Scottish business or even an English business, you think, I don't want that uncertainty. I'd rather actually opt for an independent Scotland, which at least has a chance for becoming a permanent member of the EU again. And I think that's what might might swing it. Yeah, I agree. I think if not inevitable, it's definitely more likely um, this time round than last time round. And if you're not going to do it now, when are you going yeah, to do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, I mean, I thought it, I thought the best time for them to do it was just after the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow because I thought all of that, you know, 
nationalistic spirit. And then, but now this is even better condition. I didn't literally <laughs> think that, by the way. I'm not just because the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, Scotland was even defender. I'm not an idiot, all right? The point I'm trying to make here is that... Because sort of the Commonwealth Games are going to be in Manchester, isn't it, next time, yeah, maybe? So is that going to... Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> UDI for Manchester. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no. a little bit. You know what I'm trying to say, people. But Theresa May, next week, don't forget, has this nationwide tour as well. So she's going to visit um, all the different... Um, uh, Wales, Scotland, I think Northern Ireland as well, it's and England, nice and, and it's an, att- an attempt to say, look, I'm in favour of the union, and it may well work. That's, again, got tongues wagging about, well, hold on, that's the sort of thing you do before a general election. Will there be a snap general election? This is, I've heard this from a couple of Tory benches that they think they're clearing the debt. Yeah, snap I mean, I you know, well, there's a powerful case, isn't there? Things can only get worse for Theresa May. <laughs> is that, that going to be the slogan? <laughs> that is Tony Blair in reverse. The things can only get worse, this parliament. And that's why the b- budget cock-up is a real wake-up call for them. That things, you know, you've been having this wonderful honeymoon, the press are in your pocket, um, you know, Labour's on its, on its knees when it comes to the polls. You've had an easy ride, but now they're beginning to think, hold on, things can, the wheels can fall off, you know. And this is even before the real hard bargaining with the EU. It, this is even before the economy has possibly turned against them. So you can see why all those Tory MPs are saying, look, you've got to go now, you've got to go now, are saying, all right, you've, you've dealt with that, you've done a U-turn, have your own manifesto, yeah. forget the last manifesto pledges, have your own, have a much bigger majority. You can, you can rule the roost over whether it's the leavers or the remainers, you'll be in charge. You can reimpose your authority on the, on the cabinet who are unruly, and we'll talk about that the, uh, later in the programme. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why she should do it, but will she? I think there's every reason for her to do it. I think it'd be good for her. I think she should, for the, so she's got a manifesto, but I don't think she will. I yeah. just don't want one. I want a quiet summer. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> political yeah, reporter sure. says he doesn't like politics. I don't, I don't like politics. Just I too much. There's been too much politics, isn't there? There's so much politics. I read a. Do you know what I did the other day? I read a select committee report from the House of Lords, and it was so nice for a couple of hours just to read something. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's politics, but like it was nice just to have a little break. It's not like you went to Disney, is it? Really, Disney. You know, that would be really getting away from it all. I could go to Disney. So your idea of relaxing is what is reading a Lord's Committee you report. What, you sound like William Hague. It's a bloody good report. Customs Union. <laughs> Brexit. <laughs> a trade goods or something. It's worth it. Anyway, you're listening to Commons People. Uh, we were honoured this week to have the Leader of the Opposition drop into HuffPost HQ for a chat. Yes, Tim Farron came along to give us his thoughts ahead of the Lib Dem Spring Conference, speaking to our very own Paul War. Here is Tim laying into Jeremy Corbyn. He is the most ineffective, um, uh, poor quality opposition leader in, I think, probably the history of British politics. He makes IDS look like JFK. Um, and it is it is... Shocking. Now, looking at it from the outside, you kind of think, well, where is this red-blooded socialist alternative? If, they, if he was bringing it forward, maybe it might have been worth the pain. But the hard left seems to have taken over the Labour Party, and they're just being incompetent. They're not being radical. Um, so, but in any event, if you say you know you are in favour of supporting refugees or people who are on housing waiting lists or people in desperate need of social care and you make yourself the most unelectable opposition in living memory, you betray all of those people. And I want to say that there's nothing Mandelsonian and grubby about wanting to win 
winning is the means by which you make people's lives better. And so our view is simply that Britain needs a decent, strong, progressive alternative to the Conservatives. It isn't the Labour Party, therefore it must be us, and we're determined to fill that space. Now, I humorously introduced him as a leader of the opposition. We good, know that's not true. Good joke, that. Gary Lineker. Um, you just wait for the haters to get on exactly, you now. I know, well, they already hate me. Uh, but Tim Farron, you know, he's putting no punches when it comes to Jeremy Corbyn, is it? But then he would say that, wouldn't he? He's not of go course he would. Jeremy and Labour Corbyn's immediately great. hit back and said, you know, look, if this is the guy whose party, you know, kept the Tories in power for five years. How dare he even attempt to knock Labour? And there was a strong hit back from Labour people after I published that interview the, the the difficulty i think for for that line of attack is that slowly but surely lib dems are winning things on the ground and they're, they're meeting jeremy corbyn's own test of electoral <laughs> success which is council ward by elections i mean it is a bizarre world we live in where that is a test of electoral success but they're doing it and as farron said to me you know they've won like a net gains of 35 the other parties have all net down and crucially i think um they are beginning in the national polls to overtake UKIP. There's a new poll out today by the Mori poll and the Standard showing they're, they're several points ahead of UKIP. And there was a first poll in YouGov in a long time today showed that Lib, Dem, uh, Lib Dems have overtaken UKIP. And UKIP have gone down into single figures and Lib Dems have gone into double figures. Now that's significant because it shows that it's not just small individual local contests, that there's something bigger going on. Also, the, the Labour attack on the Lib Dems is you propped up the Tories in government, you did all this stuff in government. Is that not a bizarre thing? Because a lot of people now might be going, well, I quite like to the Lib Dems are in government, actually. Thank you for reminding me. Do you know what I mean? Because a lot of people might think, without the Lib Dems there, look what the Tories have done. So actually reminding me that the Lib Dems are in government, maybe that's actually quite uh, good uh, for the Lib Dems, it, right? It, in, a, in a weird way. I mean, it, it, it's kind of a weird argument, given they got so destroyed at the last election. But, but, but then people but, might regret but, that but, now. Well, exactly. And that's something a lot of senior Lib Dems thought before that election. They kind of secretly hoped they would go down a bit because then they could say, look what they're doing without us. They don't yeah. want to go down to, you know, basically one MP. But they thought if they drop down and they can say, look, this is what these horrible Tories do. Mm. And so in a way, that was their best hope for a recovery. They just hoped it wouldn't be from such a... I, such a I personally don't buy that theory. I, th I think actually that, you know, if the more people remember the, the Tory Lib Dem coalition, the more they're reminded of it, the more they'll actually think, think twice about voting Lib Dem. Because... Let's not forget, it's not as if the Cameron regime was some sort of, you know, halcyon era where you know, liberal values flourished, etc. I mean, don't forget, it was under Cameron where the green agenda was completely dumped. Mm. And if you're a Lib Dem voter or, you know, or even a, a green Lib Dem voter, then you'll be pretty pissed off about that. And you'll be thinking, right, well, which party is going to going to. Uh, help me get what I want. And also there's lots of other areas where, although the Lib Dems say that, you know, they tempered the Tories like on grammar schools, that's certainly true. It, um, there are too many memories of what that coalition did and the fact that it still isn't was an austerity administration that I think is they, that's too strong. The best hope the Lib Dems have got is that people gradually not forgive them, but kind of forget about all that. I think, and that is, there's evidence that that's happening. Yeah, I think Jen was it. I think right saying that Lord Heseltine, when he was doing the rounds of the day, was saying to his party, you know, don't focus so much on what happened in Copeland. We need to be more right about what happened in Richmond. Uh, if you are a Tory MP in a kind of Lib Demi seat, it's quiz time! Yay! <laughs> I shocked, it's, didn't it? it did a bit. Yeah. I wasn't is that ready. the new jingle? Yeah. <laughs> I hope the listener liked it. I'll uh, sing next time. Okay, Sarah's here. Hello, I am. Sarah. Hello again. It's um, so much better when you're not doing the quizzes. I mean. I, 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 do you know what? We've <laughs> Thanks, had Ned. so many letters saying, oh, we did the quiz again. 
What did you write them? My hand hurts from writing. <laughs> so what? What's the quiz on? So this week I thought, um, off the back of all our referendum chat, you'd want to have a quiz on Scotland. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Go Ned, come on. <laughs> to expose our ignorance. So yeah, exactly, yeah, the Westminster bubble doesn't take much. Did Go you on. know War is originally a Scottish name? Wah. Really? Can I just put oh, that, that out there. Trying to claim that one of the questions? Scottish. Out there. <laughs> Say. <laughs> right, okay then. Did you know Simon's is originally from Scotland? It's not. No, it's not. It's not. Dutch, isn't it? Yeah. Harris, is. Yeah. Oh. Harris is. I feel like we're Scottish. losing the list. Yeah, okay, anyway. fine. <laughs> sorry. Okay, fine. Here, question one. Uh, what is Scottish tablet? Oh, oh that's a tablet. sweet. It's yeah, like um, it's like caramelly peppermint sort of oh, is thing. It? Isn't a sentence that makes is no it? sense. A Scottish tablet. tablet. It's, it's like it? salty caramel. That's I, mean, I, th- that's I think it's like Kendall mint cake. I think it's sort of. Very similar to it that. It is. It is. Oh. It's quite a lot like Kendall Mint Cake. Yes. Very bad for the teeth. <laughs> He's got home advantage, though. <laughs> yeah, hang on a minute. It's been a long time since I actually, you know, had relatives in Mr. Scotland. I'm so Scottish. <laughs> All right, fine. Okay, question two. Traditionally, what is a sporran actually for? Um, holding. Holding your porridge. Um, so racist. <laughs> holding. I don't know. Holding someone else's porridge. <laughs> Key? I don't know. Keys? Keys? I don't know. Keys? <laughs> Your keys? What, on the battlefield of Scotland? Your oyster card? I mean, that... Keys are like... <laughs> keys are quite an old thing. All right, we're going... <laughs> yeah, like... okay. We're going with keys. I'm going to say <laughs> knife... Yeah. I mean, it was just for your personal items. So like so keys. keys. Your house yeah, keys. keys. Mocking oh, me for yeah, the yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Okay. Question three. What is the old firm? That's the... Derby, the isn't it? It's Rangers, Rangers and Celtic. Celtic. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well done. Okay, you all knew that one. <laughs> Fine. Okay. That's a trick Football. Yeah. What did Scottish-born engineer John Logie Baird invent? Telly. Podcast. Television. Specifically. Oh. Colour. Oh. What do you mean specifically? Colour. Colour television. Well done, Ned. We didn't well done, Ned. Not colour. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he is Jesus. <laughs> I'm not sure he really. I thought he invented the television. The colour television, yeah, he Owen. He invented the black and white television then. I don't know. They weren't Someone Scottish, else. so I didn't have to find out. How weird. In Scotland, you <laughs> Hold on. That can't be right, can it? Why not? Wait, are you questioning my quiz? <laughs> I'm sure he invented the But didn't he invent TV itself, which was black and white to start off with? Anyway. Okay, well, I'll, I'll <laughs> issue a correction question. and apology <laughs> if, <this laughs> if, please, if I was wrong. I apologise. Yeah, please me. tweet your correction yeah. at Sarah, Sarah Ann Harris. Smallest Sarah. On we Twitter. used to have a black and white telly. I'm probably the only room in, what person oh in this room goodness. who had a black and white TV. Am I not? Back in oldie, <laughs> yeah, oldie yeah, world yeah, of Scotland. Cool. They're all nodding, yeah. listener. Yeah. Okay, and final question. What creature is the Loch Ness Monster often actually suggested to be? And please don't make a joke about me, Owen. Ooh, a diplock- Diplocodus? <laughs> Something like that. Diplodocus? Um, I'm going to say a hamster. Um, a ferret. A, d- a, a ghost. A ghost. A dolphin. <laughs> yeah, a porpoise. I like uh, saying porpoise. It's like a, someone in the Bronx saying purpose. Porpoise. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Paul's actually closest. It's a uh, plesiosaurus. A what? Plesiosaurus. A plesiosaurus. Plesiosaurus. Obviously. That's like a copper, but a dinosaur. Did they invent the black and white teddy? Look. We're going to find <laughs> out if this is true. Find out next week. Well, That's Sarah, a great exactly. cliffhanger. Shoddy, Tune in again. Shoddy quiz. <laughs> I appreciate it. See you next week, yeah? Thanks, Bye-bye. Sarah. See you in the nap room. <laughs> Scott shaming. That's what that was. Thank you for that, Sarah. And now it's the feature I can't stop thinking about. It's in case you missed it. 
And this week, Ned got his abacus out to look at Liam Fox. And that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Ned, Ned's, Ned's got a story about Liam Fox. I've cannibalised last week's right, script. Right, I see. I've <laughs> yeah. added the word Liam Fox in it. So, yeah, Put your abacus away and tell us about Liam Fox. Yeah, so underneath all the kind of David Davis admitting there's no study for the economic impacts of Brexit. Which we haven't really mentioned, but that no, was like a major, that, that was, huge... So that big story that happened that we assume all the listeners have read about. We'll, we'll so do that in the Brexit briefing we'll, in the minute. We'll do that later. Yeah. But Liam Fox was at a, the House of Lords International Relations Committee talking about trade and that. And he kind of casually admitted there is an ongoing row, to quote him, um, inside the cabinet over whether student numbers should be included in the migration figures. Um, that's something that Boris Johnson has said they should be taken out. And Philip Hammond also suggested the same. Now, Theresa May is the person who really wants to keep students in the figures. So again, you've now got three cabinet ministers saying that she's wrong. And there's this, obviously this fight going on between May and Amber Rudd, the Home Secretary on one side, and it seems quite a lot of the cabinet on the other. And the, the weird thing is, I, I'm pretty sure, Liam Fox said he'd talked privately yeah. to Amber so Rudd about this. I suspect privately Amber Rudd probably agrees with him. Because let's be honest, Amber Rudd, look at her yeah. background. She's yeah. quite liberal. You know, she, we Remainer. know where she's coming from. She's a Remainer. She's, she, she's kind yeah. of, oh, good gossip. Um, f- she's kind of sort of sensible. Whereas the, it seems to me the only person on the planet who still <laughs> thinks that actually it's a good idea mm. to have students in the migration target is a certain Theresa May. I don't get right is that this target of getting numbers down below 100,000 is never going to happen. If we took students out, it'd be a lot easier to do it. So why is she... Why and, is she doing this? And it wasn't even her target to this begin with. So like, she, she, I don't understand why oh. she kept it when she became Prime Minister. Again, a perfect opportunity to just quietly Absolutely. sort of, you know, admit that it was really David Cameron's idea. Yeah. And, Brexit's like, changed everything now. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can make that yeah. case and you can say also, and everyone else agrees with that. It's well, the, the, she keeps falling back on the international definition of migration does include one version of it does include having students. But Let's pick another one. I want a British <laughs> definition the, the of migration. The fact is, you're going to take control I, of that definition. I want, I want a red, white and blue version and of immigration. But, but fair play to Liam Fox for coming and just spilling out into the <laughs> yeah. public what's going on in Cabinet. I know, good good on him, we that. say. It's good for us. Let's um, let's have the, uh, the jingle. <laughs> so it was a busy week for Brexit amongst everything. Obviously, today, the Queen, you know, signed the bit of paper saying trigger Article 50. Uh, after the Lords and Commons said, no more ping pong, <laughs> just please. Yeah, put please your ping pong bats down. David Davis appeared before the Brexit Committee and one of the questions was, so what's the economic assessment for if we leave on WTO rules? And he said, there isn't one. Yeah. He said, you don't need to write things down to have an assessment. It's, I think you do, David. I think you do. Yeah, and, so, and he went on to say as well in that committee hearing, much later, maybe an hour later, that he kind of said, well, all forecasts about Brexit are wrong anyway, so whatever. All forecasts about Brexit yeah, are wrong? he was pointing back Including to the one... Including the ones that he's made? Well, he hasn't made any, though, has he? So <laughs> he can't be wrong. He can't be wrong. Anything he ever go at Boris? I'm not going to go and say things just to make the news. He said, I say things based on facts, I'm not in interviews, <laughs> Boris. <laughs> really, isn't it? What's, what was really surprising was the way uh, number 10 rode in behind him and said, look, actually, you know, David, what he was really saying is that the, there is ongoing work. There is, you know, it's not as if we're not doing anything. But, you know, DD made clear we won't, it would be a year before we get some kind of sensible assessment about what 
those WTO rules would look like, which for you know, the uninformed listener is World Trade Organization rules where we don't really have much other than uh, a bare minimum when it comes to tariffs and things coming in and out of the country. In other words, we will actually fall back on an independent sort of Singapore-style model where we determine everything and all, all the other countries will have to go along with that. So uh, it's difficult to see why Theresa May said in her own Lancaster House speech, a big Brexit speech, that no deal was better than a bad deal because there's no evidence that a no deal is better than a bad deal. None whatsoever. And I think that was why it was so damaging what DD said this week. And On a he, normal week, that would have been a big, big yeah. story. And he, he, also, yeah. he also kind of, when asked why did Theresa May say that, he also kind of implied she said it because, you know, emotions were running high after the vote, which wasn't a great sort of use of phrase, kind of suggesting that she's just sort of just said it off offhand. Well, and which, it also perhaps points us to the real story, which is that she doesn't really believe we're going to go on WTO rules. It's a brilliant negotiating threat. And DD himself said earlier in the week, and I thought this was very revealing. In fact, I think it was in, in the Andrew Marr show where he said, look, the, the two reasons why we're, we're talking about this option of, of having no deal. One is we've got to prepare for it in case it happens. Right? That's sensible contingency planning. The other is it's pretty good for us in the negotiation. And I thought that was very, very telling. In other words, this is a massive bluff or it could be a massive bluff. But will Brussels, because the, 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 the calculation is that Brussels has got a lot to lose and the other states have got a lot to lose, just as we have, from us having no deal. And it's that return back to the narrative of the EU referendum where basically people are saying, look, Germans need to sell German cars here. Everyone needs to sell other goods here. Let's call their bluff as well. But is going on national television and saying it's a bluff, does that not undermine... Your well, path. that's the point. <laughs> Is that not a little bit We're like... New rules. There's no, There's no bullets in this, Gov. I'm going to point at you anyway. Well, what? Anyway, before we do Farron or Farage, we asked, uh, Paul asked, Farron about Farron or Farage. Yeah, he <laughs> loved it. Here's the clip. He's a regular. We have a weekly, you might have heard our podcast, we have a weekly Farron or Farage section. Yes. Um, surely this week of all weeks is going to be a, a Farage week, hasn't it, with Article 50 finally clearing the Lords? I mean, not something you're really happy about? Well, I mean, I guess you could argue that Theresa May is enacting Farage's agenda, um, and that is something I, was, I thought most Conservatives should consider to be utterly appalling. What's even more appalling is that that probably understates it, because what Nigel Farage spent the last 10 or 20 years doing, touring the country, telling us we should be more like Norway and Switzerland. What are Norway and Switzerland? Out of the EU, in the single market. So Theresa May has put the Conservative government in a position where it makes Farage look like a moderate. There's no way you'd ever heard of that before. Like we said <laughs> on the podcast with you, it's like, oh yeah. He oh, did. Yeah. He actually did. I know he did. He's never heard of it. He was just being nice. He wasn't. Like, he was going, oh, God, yeah, yeah. I swear yeah. he didn't bring it up then. <laughs> Had nothing to do with his aide, Paul Butters, at all. Good old Butters. <laughs> anyway, uh, Farrell or Farage this week? Uh, well, Farage. Yeah. Obviously, because Article 50, you know, yeah. the bill, bring it in, has just been uh, Yeah, I think despite the kind of David Davis, we're not planning anything, the Royal Assent of Article 50 sort of. Yeah. Can I just say I've just had I've just had a message from Sarah from the other room <laughs> in in capital letters. <laughs> he invented both the television and the colour television. Oh, so she's uh, technically right just though. The word that's just the television. So we're we're all right then. Yeah. So yeah. we're all right. That's good. You see, good. Right. Thank you for listening, <laughs> dear listener. More half-assed research next week on Commons People. 